0: Begin. Regulatory takings 2. Can you believe it? That you never thought this day would come. Yeah. All right. So here we go. So first up. Oh. That's fine. And you thought I wasn't going to get you a going away
1: present. Uh, so it's fine. I think it's fine.
0: Jared, what are you doing? Yeah, all right. It's distracting and annoying. Please <laughs> turn <laughs> Not that you aren't normally distracting and annoying. Baron does not
1: care. <laughs> okay. All right.
0: So problem set three is graded outside my door. I'll post the I have some final touches to do on the answers and explanations, and I'll post that I think in the next day. Um, so uh, there it is. Those are the. There's the data for it. In general, I was pretty happy with this one. Um, more spread on this one, interestingly enough, than than the prior ones. Um, sort of fell between the other two in terms of the, the scores. Um, so here's your overall combined, just so that you know for your own purposes uh, where you fall um, in terms of the, the overall problem sets combined. Okay. So the mean, median. Standard deviation. Yes. Question? Comment? What
1: uh, is the no
0: addresses? That's total possible. So thirty-seven point two of forty-eight. Right. Okay. All right. Questions? Comments? All right. While we're at it, let's have a small discussion about scantrons.
1: <laughs>
0: Some observations from the last problem set. Right. So first of all. A large number of you did not fill in bubbles on your name, which meant that it took a long time to figure out whose uh, 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 whose answer key was who's it is. Um, so just do the bubbles as well, and that way the computer picks it up, right? And that's so we we grade anonymously here at at um, at the law school. So not only do we assign grades randomly, but we assign them anonymously. You get both. Random anonymous. Just one wouldn't be enough. All right. So that's and then these are obviously your area for uh, your um, your answers. Uh, the problem set, the score you got on the problem set, by the way, is on. You pick up this sheet. It's on the back. I had them write it out on the back. Okay. And but both both your your written explanations and your scantron are available outside my office. All right. Questions about that? Exactly. You will be given an exam ticket number, and so that's what what you do. And you'll put that as well on the sheet that you'll turn in for your short answers and things like that. So just be sure, don't put anywhere on anything, anything that's identified. No, in the comments, hi, Professor Wagner, whatever. Don't. Don't (laughs) do it. All right, because we do like to be as anonymous as possible. Okay? All right. Questions? Comments? No? All right. All right. So we've got two cases to do today. So Loretto and Lucas, regulatory takings. All right. So Loretto is a, is a fun case. right? So Mrs. Loretto acquires an apartment building. Here it is um, in, in New York City on the Upper West Side. Uh, and then the local cable company um, uh, has installed. Please be as neat as possible. Okay. Please be as neat as you can. Okay. And seriously, like, if I give you three lines, please try and keep it to those three lines. The down the margins and around the other side of the page gets difficult for me to follow. All right? All right. Uh, And again, with the exam, I will, uh, when it's done, it's not done yet, and it probably won't be until a couple of days before, and you've got some time since you've got, what, torts and contracts before then, so um, you're probably not even sort of thinking about the property exam yet. But when you you do get turned to that, uh, I'll, I'll post the Instructions page, so you'll know exactly how many questions there are and stuff. What did they do to you? (laughs) Was that a permanent physical occupation? (laughs) Brittany looks very guilty. (laughs) All right. So here's Loretto. Mrs. Loretto doesn't want uh, the cable company puts a cable. uh, across her building, down the side, to serve the tenant. She does this, uh, the cable company does this on, under the authorization of a specific statute uh, that, that says that the owners of rental properties may not interfere with this operation, that the cable companies have this right to do it, uh, independent of whether the owners give authorization or not. Uh, and the cable companies were obligated to pay for this. How much were they obligated to pay? One dollar. All right, so Mrs. Loretto suits uh, and says uh, that she deserves more compensation as a taking. So Uh, test Test for what? What do they hope? I mean, that's sort of what Caleb was saying, is maybe it could be a test case to try and stop wires. Oh, sure, no, there's a long tradition of test cases, but usually the test cases, the result will actually matter. I mean, here it seems like what's the result? The cable company pays a little more. Guess who's going to pay for that in the end? You, right? I mean, the cable, the person who's, who's renting the apartment is going to end up paying a little more for cable. So... Okay right so maybe mrs. Loretto feels like she's doing this on behalf of all property owners everywhere and that once she gets a, a, a ruling that says physical occupations are takings what then she feels good I mean does that justify the millions of dollars that seem to have been spent in this I mean this goes all the way to the Supreme Court this hmm? I don't know that's why I'm trying to let's figure this out I mean part of this to ask yourself is what What's going on? I mean, clearly, Mrs. Loretto doesn't seem to be doing this on her own. So what is, what's going on here? So, it's just
1: like what Craig said, it is, so she's doing it for all the probably others, but even if, even if it wasn't just for everybody, it was just for herself, that the idea that you can somehow get away with this is just not fair, that, like, yeah, it's only a wire right now, but what if sure. it's even bigger? So you, okay, so, you,
0: so a slippery slope yeah, sort of thing, right. Okay. Idea
1: that if, if, if the cable company can do it, how come somebody can't put like, a salad on the roof for whatever mm-hmm. else they want? It's something that is really going to be in. Don't call
0: out. Right. Now, remember, however, that, that Penn Central certainly says that if it's impactful, meaning it's a, if it's a really significant reduction of your value, then that might indeed be a taking that would require compensation, right? Depending on how the balancing factors would work out, right? So the balancing factors for her, even if she sort of wins, they aren't going to work out that well, right? So the question is, what's going on? Clearly, she's not sort of paying this out of the, the money she's getting from the, the renters. So, apparently, prior to 1973, the way they obtained authorization for installations would pay 5% of its gross revenues to landowners. Right, Right. we just talked about that. That's going to be a couple hundred bucks a year. That doesn't help her, right? That definitely doesn't finance Supreme Court litigation.
1: Yep. Maybe she's trying to beat other housing regulations and make you put certain things in the house, like fire extinguishers and fire alarms and other stuff. Okay.
0: All right, yeah, maybe she just really wants to not, and then maybe some of those cost real money, and so therefore she feels like she would save real money. Maybe. I think there's a much more simple example or answer for this. <laughs> I'm
1: not sure, and this is kind of like out of the field, is there another type of technology that is trying to be brought in people's homes that's less invasive and they want to give the cable companies that are existing a harder time?
0: Okay. I don't know. Like what? I mean, this is, would it be DISH? This is early, early in the DISH era, so I don't think it would be Dishes. I don't know. I don't think
1: that's it. Right, although they're going to just
0: get, the, they just have authorization from the state, and the, the question of the cable companies is not even going to end up really paying, it's the state's going to have to pay her, right? And does anyone have any doubt that the state is going to continue to say that cable companies get the right to put in cables, which is true. So she's going to end up with... It can't be that. It can't be that she thinks she's going to make a bunch of money off the cable companies. So what is it? What is going on?
1: Could it be that she was trying to get her tenants to pay more to have cable in the building?
0: Okay, but is that going to finance the millions of dollars of... of, of, I mean, remember the, the dollar amount. I mean, think about... The cost here is there's huge fees and attorney's fees in getting to the supreme court right you're getting through a a local state court on up the chain and then uh and then beyond right lots and lots of money travis what do you think
1: Okay, okay. maybe, I mean,
0: maybe, Do you think? That, but, but certainly for her that isn't going to matter very much, right? Not, when we go back to the possible, she's the front of the Good, front. so you guys are on to something with this whole front operation. What is, there, but there's a much simpler, less conspiracy-oriented front <laughs> that's going on here. Does she just want to be immortalized by having her? <laughs> Maybe, but I've already given you one clue, which is this, it's not her. It's ugly. Who's driving this? <laughs> she's not driving it. Who's driving it? Clearly she's not driving it. Who is? Are
1: there other cable companies? Because they never mentioned any other ones. Here, but it seems like are
0: maybe, but again, I don't think they're going to be hurt, even if we go back to the old five percent rule, it just means they jack the prices just a tiny bit, right? Well, the building looks like it's in a nice area, so what about all the people who live there who don't want? Okay, so you think they might be financing this? Yeah, because, like, I mean, if you can just go in and for these one inch like, strips down the sides of their buildings, I don't know, maybe. I'm not sure. It's, it's simpler. It's got to be sim- even simpler. What's the simplest explanation? Simplest possible explanation of who's driving the bus on this one?
1: lawyers.
0: Yeah. Why?
1: Um, they get attorney's fees. From
0: you them. got it. In many cases, when you sue the government, you get attorney's fees. And why we often give you attorney's fees for suing the government? We want to encourage... People to sue the government to in order to, to implement the rules that limit the government, right? So, so who's the one who's spending millions of dollars? The attorney who wants to get paid the millions of dollars. The attorneys, right? So it's probably we don't know this for sure, but this is probably an attorney uh, fee generating uh, gambit, and and there might be some public interest litigation as well. Now, nowadays we see things like in the Kilo case where it was a public interest law firm that was behind. So it might be, but even, even absent sort of the public interest part of it, there's still incentives on the part of people to pursue these sorts of cases for potential attorney's fees, right? So I think probably the attorney's fees things is a um, uh, lit- the lawyer-driven uh, case, right? All right, so what Loretto says is that a permanent physical occupation is a paper. This is. It says you don't even have to go to Penn Central. This is not a Penn Central case. This is a per se express taking. Permanent physical occupation. The court says this deprives the owner of all incidents of ownership. Right to permanently and physically take somebody's property. Right. It's unlike merely removing one of the sticks from your bundle. What Justice Marshall says is you're cutting all the sticks off. Okay? Different. It's a, it's a much different, the court thinks, injury to your owner autonomy. Right, You as the owner should have the autonomy to decide who gets to um, uh, be on your property and when. And uh, although in some cases regulatory reasons, we will allow that to bend a little bit, this kind of permanent physical occupation is deeply damaging the people's autonomy, owner's autonomy. Right? The court says this is easy. This is an easy thing to apply. It's an easy thing to approve to, to prove. Very little in the way of proof is needed, uh, and, and it's a nice, clean, bright line rule. Permanent physical occupation is indeed a take. It's the right answer. I mean, this is a big shift, right, this member of Penn Central, so Mahan sort of starts us down this road, right, and says for the first time that a regulatory regime can be a taking. Usually we used to think of takings as only when you literally took somebody's land and converted it to public use, right. Now, uh, and after the, the Cole case, um, we now think that a regulation, even if it doesn't actually physically take anything, can be a taking. Penn Central clarifies that with its multi-factor balancing test, where you look at all of the different factors, including investment-backed expectations and how much da- you know how much diminution in value there was, and all of those factors we talked about. Now we get to Loretto, and we go even beyond that. And we say there are some cases where it's so damaging that it's clearly a take, and we're not even going to discuss the balance. From a theoretical perspective, it seems to
1: make sense because you're. Hurting the owner's right to exclude, but functionally, if you look at Penn Central and the coal example, there's way more harm there than there is here. Here, there's enormous more so harm. Like One dollar right? more harm. There, you're taking away all their coal, or you're taking away their possibility to build a skyscraper that will give them revenue for the future in perpetuity. So good. You're taking uh, a, You know, you're
0: taking an inch by fifty feet of yeah. her land of of property that she would probably not use anyway. So, how does this make sense? I mean, you're right. It doesn't, I mean, from a sort of economic value destroyed by the regulation, this seems completely different than Penn Central and even the, the coal case. Yeah.
1: I think it doesn't really cost them any money because then when they look at the, and when they assess the damages later, they can sort of like recorrect for what they see as like actually. So, technically, it's a taking, but you're really worried about, I guess, the just compensation. Like, that's the most important part between if it's a taking or not. And since they consider a dollar just compensation, does <coughs> she
0: actually well, that's what the state said. She she's gonna want more and she she may get up to I can't imagine she's gonna get more than her five percent, right? But she won she said the dollar was way too low. But yes, there would be a litigation. So your point is, who cares? Let it be a taking. She's not gonna get any sort of windfall here anyway. I feel like that's why they're not I think like that's what not as worried. Or yeah, that's why I'm not as worried about it, because it's like when they can assess the damages later, they can sort of correct. True, but is that, I mean, is, do you think that's what's going through the Supreme Court's mind, right? Because remember, this is a, now a a precedent that that could be extremely far-ranging in its, in its
1: application. I mean, I, I thought that the dissent's arguments are pretty strong. I mean, to me, this looks like a mailbox, and they talk about that statute that regulates, regulates the mailbox. I mean, it's a method of communicating sure. with
0: the tenants. Right, like, so the dissent says. We have a ton of regulations that apply to people who are renting their buildings. Among them, you have to provide space for mailboxes, you have to provide fire extinguishers, there are other permanent you know, there are other things you have to do. So how do you disting- how does the majority distinguish that? I don't know. To me this
1: seems like
0: All right. What do you think? Anyone want to argue? For the the majority seems to think that this does not affect those, and it says they say so expressly that this does not affect the traditional regulations on uh, landlord-tenant relationships. Well, I think the difference between a mailbox and and cable access is that it's very very important that people have access to the mail, and, and not just for their own purposes, but so they can communicate elsewhere, so that they can receive jury summons. Oh, true, but you know the very first line of this opinion says, um, uh, "Let's see. I should have had that. <laughs> uh, Twelve eighty-nine under heading two. The court of appeals determined that the eight at section eight twenty-eight, giving access, serves a legitimate public purpose of rapid development and maximum penetration by a means of communication, which has important educational community aspects and within the state's police power." We have no reason to question that determination it is a separate question. However, whether an otherwise valid regulation so frustrates property rights that compensation must be paid. They don't care how good your your reason is for allowing or allowing the physical occupation. It doesn't matter. But then what's the difference between making landlords paper for spaces for
1: mailboxes
0: good. and what's the difference? Jared, you've been waving now for five minutes, so this better be good. Cable TV is a private business. The mail is government sanctioned, and it's, it's different in that respect. Why? It's still, I mean, I think Zizi would say, look, you still have to give space in your building to this thing, which is not you. Yeah, but it's, it's, As an owner, don't you feel violated by having to put these mailboxes in the lobby? No,
1: because the cable TV company is... Did- Putting cable into each of those apartments, the, the, mail, the mail must go through. The mail is
0: profiting having by having that, right? I mean, profiting we good. mean in <laughs> very broad terms, right? But in theory, the mail is getting revenues by having that in your building. And yes, Zizi's right. This is very important. We think mail is very important. But the state has also decided that cable TV is critical to the economic development of the, of the city and state as well. Okay? All right. So, I mean, i un- be a little more sympathetic. What is the, what are the court clear, the majority clearly thinks there's a distinction there. What is that distinction? I mean, as far as I understood, it just seemed to be that there wasn't a third party involved. Okay. So where are you reading this? This is, this is, uh... It's 1294. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the paragraph in 1294. We do not agree it will have dire consequences. We've always said that states have broad power to regulate housing conditions in general and landlord-tenants' relationship in particular, and, and, and they cite a bunch of cases. In none of these cases, however, the government authorized what? For party, which, I don't know, I... So what's the difference? What does the court think the difference is? I think it makes a big difference that we're not... I mean, a mailbox is pretty simple to set up. You can trust a landlord to do that. Whereas with something like cable, you don't want landlords putting an
1: app on cable networks. You want, want the government to own that land so that somebody's qualified. Yeah, but that's not what
0: they say, right? I mean, what we're talking about is how does the court get away from the dissent? Says you're you're going to ruin mailboxes. I mean, we already require mailboxes, and the dissent or the majority doesn't seem to think that mailboxes are even going to be a problem. That their ruling doesn't affect mailboxes and other um, smoke detectors, fire extinguishers, and other sort of requirements that you would have in order to rent a building. They aren't going to be affected by this decision, and yet. require space they're required how is that different
1: the landlord still owns the area where the mailboxes are whereas they can now never ever use the space occupied by this very small you got it
0: permanent physical occupation they think there is something different there's something fundamentally different and that's their (laughs) argument about a permanent physical occupation here this is the mailbox, it's still under the landlord's control. I mean, sure, you, you have to make it a certain size, maybe a certain shape, maybe have a particular kind of keying arrangement on it so the mailman can use it or whatever, but it's still under your control as the landlord, essentially, and you get to decide a lot of things about how it's used, and you, you can occupy that space as long as you're allowing the mail to get through. This is different, the court thinks. right? The majority says this is totally different. This is a half inch of space across your building off-limits to you. Permanent physical occupation. By it? I, I, I fail to see how uh, <laughs> Many people do, but it's a controversial costs. decision. One is more permanent or, or temporary? It's not about the... Well, it's the it's the physical occupation, the consistent physical occupation by this company that's there. Okay, and so how does the mailman... Mailman comes in and out once a day. Yeah, but the box is yours. You, the landowner, it's yours. Yes, it's regulated into what you can do, uh, but it's still yours. Are you obligated to have it there? Yep. Yeah. yeah, But not obligated to uh, to not be in that space during the time when the mailman's not there. Can you occupy the same space as
1: the mailbox? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I mean, look, I agree. It's a, the distinction is pretty...
1: <laughs> then I
0: mean I don't know, would people anyone wanna say that this works? Brandon?
1: Well, it's distinct in so far as the landlord can take crowbar the mailbox and build it across the wall.
0: Exactly. You can move it. Whereas if you wanted to move the wire, he can't no it
1: over I'm I'm not sure that's an important
0: distinction, but I think well, I mean it seems to be it appears to be the distinction they're making. Right? I mean, that appears to be the way that they're trying to carve this line. That that things like fire extinguishers, yes, you have to have them. They have to be within certain zones, but you can move them around. You have the autonomy as the owner to place them in various ways. This, it's the cable company. They have the right, they have the permanent physical occupation. They're there all the time. They're living on your roof in that one half inch. Utility connections are the same way, though. I mean, you can't move. Your gas meter, you can't your power meter. And what do we think of those?
1: Personally, I don't have a problem with it. I enjoy having utilities. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so if they, if the but gas company just, wanted to put a, a gas line across your lawn, would they have to pay No, they'd have to restore it. They absolutely it. would have to pay. They do? Yep. Oh. They use eminent domain for utility connections. We always have in this country for but reasons. to connect your own house to the utility? No, typically from like you to the street, that's that's but that's your property. Yeah, but these cable the cable lines are to connect the but they're not just connecting hers, they're connecting to her tenants, right? So that's the issue is that she she even if she says I don't want cable, she's not allowed to say no. You're certainly allowed to say I don't want gas service, don't dig up my lawn to give me a gas connection. You're allowed to say that, right? Um, You're not allowed to stop them if they want to put a new gas main down the street that has to go across your yard, they'll just take use eminent domain to take that property. Um, but here, she had no ability to say, I don't want my tenants to have cable service. They, she has to accept, uh, or well, she has to allow the cable company to put this stuff across.
1: I think this is an issue that's best left to the private sector, because you know, um, it should be up to the tenants and people who are going to live in these buildings to decide whether or not they want cable or not whether they're going to pay for it. And if the landlord says, no, I don't want cable, arguably no one's going to live there. That will induce him to put cable anyway. Um, it's sort of something that like incentivizes people living there and creating value for your own building. So for the court to come in here, I'm not really sure if it's doing anything beneficial, economically or even efficiently. Right, but I think you're not necessarily debating
0: the court. You're you're debating whether the the state's regulation, which forces cable into into every rental property, is an appropriate regulation. And yes, they, it is open to question as whether that's a necessary regulation or whether it, you know. Right is the product of lobbying, right? I mean, what do, you, what, what do you do if you want good cable penetration? Well, you force everybody who's renting an apartment to take cable, right? So, sure, that's, that's reasonable, but the, this, the legislature has decided that question, right? And you're right, the, the court's decision isn't going to change that basic judgment. The question here is whether, whether Mrs. Loretto gets her 5% or whether she gets her $1.
1: New York City back in the day, you had to have a window in your
0: apartment. You could not have an apartment without a window. All these sloppy apartments that had windows literally going
1: nowhere in the middle of, in like going from your living room to your bedroom. Right. And I'm wondering if, if the courts <laughs> are, are... Just
0: in- shows you that regulations are not always what you think.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm wondering if the courts are seeing the mailboxes as an extension of the apartments in a way that you have this option with cable. I mean, I guess I don't really see you having... The same level of options with your gas name because you definitely 100% have to have access to electricity in your apartment in a way that you don't necessarily need cable.
0: Well, but according to the state, they're both the same, which is in both cases, the state, the utility has the right to put their equipment across uh, to serve all of your tenants and you can't stop them. Now, in the cases of electricity, they pay. In uh, and, and in this case, they were just giving the dollar, right? So, I think I see. I mean, so one thing this does raise is what one of the defenses the cable TV company um, came up with was. Anybody see this? It had to do with with an apartment easement. <clears throat> what did they claim that this this was? That this physical occupation. It's not a physical occupation of Mrs. Loretto's property. What it is instead is a a, a, a easement that is that is a pertinent to their leasehold. That we should conceive of this as really not sort of a violation of Mrs. Loretto's property, but merely the 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 um, uh, upholding of an easement that she necessarily had to give to them uh, as part of their lease. Clever, the court didn't buy it. Okay.
1: Uh, man, I know it's something? And this is the majority responding to what they said. And it just reminded me of the advertisement on the side of building the uh, things municipal advertisements um, from before. Uh, so it's constitutionally relevant whether an appellant had previously occupied this space. Um, so Loretto came in, and the, the cable company was already there, so they had already gathered a, an easement from being there. Um,
0: and so by having the easement, they'd still get to maintain that going forward. So, well, that was one argument. Yeah, that's a, dip- a slightly different argument. But, yes, yeah, so one argument was she bought the property already. She had not, you know, with the prior owner had not occupied it. Therefore, either it's a pre-existing easement or maybe there's an easement by prescription or there's been something in the court again it. oh, no, this is constitutional We're not bad. They don't even really address that very much. We'll talk about that question in just a minute. Um, uh, as far as whether these things run. So what about this? So the city could simply require uh, landlords to supply cable TV. Right? I mean, that's not a taking. Just like a city could require you must have heat. I mean, that's, that's not a taking. So, if that's not a take, I mean, everyone agree? First of all, everyone agree that's not a taking to say you must require cable TV as, as part of the right of, of renting uh, in the city of New York, you have to supply cable TV. And I don't think that's, that's not a constitutional problem. That's within police power regulation. So
1: that's
0: basically functionally the same, but just differently? Well, that's the question. It, it is, it's clearly a different, it's a slightly different regulation. So why, why not? Why not just, you know, Here, it's probably better to have a cable TV just, a company who knows what they're doing go ahead and install it uh, for everyone who doesn't have it rather than have the landlords doing their own ad hoc installations, some of which might be um, you know substandard and have continuing problems. Why isn't it a better uh, achievement of the same basic purpose to simply say, let the cable TV company install cable?
1: I think the satellite companies might have a little
0: problem with that.
1: Okay. Well.
0: I mean, it would be like if you have with the, what the top with with the city requiring landlords to allow or to kind of have the infrastructure in place to just plug and play on. Oh, the sure. Market. Now let's. I mean, we set aside whether it's a wise rule or not. But the question is whether it is a constitutional problem. Well, wouldn't it? What kind of lead to monopolies? It might, but the we. I mean, the utilities are all monopolies already, right? So.
1: This becomes
0: like the mailbox thing, Because then you have a choice of how where to right? Right. That's, I guess, and the question is, is that difference, that seems to be a difference enough to escape constitutional scrutiny. And the question to ask yourself, is that enough? that feel like enough? Is the autonomy that's being upheld by just having a rule that says, don't care quite so much how you do it, but you have to supply cable feed. Does that work? I
1: think, personally, I think it is, but I also think that this is to the debate about the mandatory health insurance thing that everybody's in about.
0: If it was taxed... Oh, good. Let's bring that in. <laughs> because we're not... Yeah. Yeah.
1: in this country we have a that way of
0: doing things and we have to do a... All right those are probably better directed to professor barnett but
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> No no I mean I can see it is you know it's a version of the same set of arguments right All right so we traditionally have been requiring these uh, eminent u- the use of eminent domain for utility reasons, right so this is this is back to, to chris's argument which is why Everybody wants utilities, right? I mean, who doesn't want heat? Why do we need to use eminent domain for this sort of thing? Doesn't everybody get the benefit of, of utilities? Why do we require eminent domain? Is
1: think sort of, well, it's a check on the government. Good. You know? And then, too, I feel like, yeah, like it, it's a check on the government, but I also feel like there's an element of, like, paternalism here, sort of? Like, like we're going to take your, we're going to, do eminent domain and pay you for it, but we think that this is something that's worth good
0: happening. Sure. I mean again, sorta of back to the Pennsylvania coal case where the court thought it was important to have police regulatory takings in part because it forces the government to internalize some of the costs of doing this. And they'll be they'll be, you know, presumably thinking more carefully about it. So the idea here might be something along the lines of the the utility companies are going to think more carefully about just how much of their lawn, they have, of your lawn, they have to dig up if they have to pay for it. Right? Are they going to dig up your prized apple tree, or are they going to figure out a way around it so they don't have to pay you the twenty thousand bucks for your rare apple tree? So that's the sort of thinking that we would, that that I think is behind the idea that we want people to use, or want utilities to use eminent domain. That these sorts of intrusions into private property are significant enough that, yes, we need to allow. Them. Right, we have to allow them because people do need gas, they need water, they need electricity. So we're going to have to allow them at the end of the day. But let's force the government, force the utility companies to internalize as much of the cost as possible, take the most steps they can to avoid um, uh, the hurting the landowner, uh, and therefore hopefully this compromise works out. Okay. Well, but if the if the easement that they took wasn't compensated for in the first place, why would it be compensated for when they updated the utilities? It still wouldn't be free, right? It still would be free, presumably, yeah, right?
1: but the, the homeowner
0: could just without the domain how the homeowner could just say. Oh no, it's it seems out-it. clear. So the question is why? Yeah, why do we require payment at all? Is sort of my question, right? Which is, it could be that we just say this is just regulation. Right. This isn't eminent domain power. This is just regulation for the public good, which it clearly is for the public good. No question about that. Why do we say it has to be paid for? And I think the reason is we want want them to internalize the cost, right? At least as much as possible. Angela. Um, so eminent
1: domain can only be exercised by the government, right? But then the government. Except in
0: about half the states where it's delegated, right?
1: right. So the government delegates that to the public utility companies, right? And then. They make the utility companies pay, right? So then, in that case, how is the cost being internalized by the government? Because it's just being internalized by the company.
0: Right. Well, that's, but in that case, it's the company that's deciding which route to dig up your lawn. So that's the person we want to internalize costs, right? We want them, because the government has already decided you will have, we will have electricity, right? Your neighborhood will have electricity. And so, that Once that judgment is done, we now want to make sure that the cost of choosing different routes is internalized by whoever's doing it, right? which here would be the utility company. So
1: presumably if the government chooses the route, then the government
0: has to pay? Yeah, if, if they're taking it, the I mean, ultimately probably the utility has to pay. But either way, somebody who's going to pay is going to be internalizing the cost of the route. Is the idea. And presumably choosing a... Cheaper route or a, a more cost benefit maximizing route.
1: Okay.
0: okay. Um, all right. So post Loretto, so Loretto is, is sort of a huge case in the sense that it, it generates a number of, of uh, a lot of interest um, and uh, new cases. So, you know, you get a real rules versus standards debate going in the takings, right? So, which is better, right? The, the court in Loretto says this is a much better way to do takings, nice and clear. It's just a rule, permanent physical occupation is, is a taking. Uh, and, and then there's standards, which is Penn Central, right where we use multi-factor balancing tests and we try and figure out how this goes, right. Um, there's a few sort of additional uh, wrinkles. So if you give access um, uh, uh, in, at day one and then at day two that the conditions of the access seem to change. so you give access to somebody uh, for you know, allowing, a telephone cable buried uh, in your lawn, right? You allow that voluntarily, uh, and then uh, this is to the government, uh, and then the terms of that access turn out to change. Or under government authorization, the the terms of the access change. So now they put in, you know, fiber optics. Uh, that's not a taking. Courts have held that even in, in, once you are ri- once you let someone in, right? Once you voluntarily agree to let the government in. Uh, or let a, a government-authorized uh, intrusion happen, uh, the fact that those might change uh, to some degree don't, don't generate a taking, right? A forced easement, however, and Nolan was a huge case, right? So Nolan is a case about uh, whether or not you can, uh, uh, whether an easement allowing people to be public. So this was in, in um, uh, a, a shopping mall, right? So can you, is it a, uh, taking to say that you know, the sidewalks of a public, otherwise public, shopping mall are public in the sense of, that we would think, ordinarily think of as public. And the court in Nolan, um, which we're not going to read, but does say that a forced easement is a taking. And that's a movement beyond Loretto. Why? Because Loretto says permanent physical occupation. An easement, by definition, is not a permanent physical occupation. It means just a right to use. So, giving the right to use to the public, even though they're not always using it and they're expressly lot, not allowed to camp out there, uh, is still, in many cases, thought to be a taking. Okay? All right. And then we get to Lucas. Right? So, Lucas is the high watermark of the Rehnquist Court's uh, effort to expand takings. Um, and so, this is um, so, Lucas is uh, at the Isle of Palms, just outside of Charleston. Uh, these are, are the two lots. Uh, you will note there are houses on the lots. We will talk about that in a moment. Um, so the the state of South Carolina decides in the late 80s that it needs to revisit a lot of its environmental uh, and, and uh, coastal protection uh, regulation. And they do so in part by pushing back the boundaries on which you can build properties along the waterfront uh, for reasons, this is indeed the Isle of Palms up there on the left after Hurricane Hugo in the late 80s. Uh, this is a problem, uh, not only for the, the homeowners there, but it also creates the fact that it was built up. Um, most people think caused even more damage than there would have been uh, to, the, to the lands inland because there wasn't as much protection. Right? So the, the South Carolina makes a decision that, it's gonna more, that it wants better protection of its shores by pushing back the, the ranges of development. And the, the lots that Lucas owns um, uh, go from being extremely valuable beachfront home uh, lots uh, to being non-buildable. Okay? And he sues. And he says, that's a taking. Right? That's a regulatory taking. Uh, and the court, Supreme Court, in a, in a Justice Scalia uh, decision, agrees and says that is a taking. More importantly declines to use the Penn Central test. And the court says that this is a per se taking. No balancing necessary, just a taking. So why? The court decides it wants to move to a categorical approach. So what's, what's involved here? I mean, even beyond sort of the doctrine. What's the strategy? What's Justice Scalia doing
1: here? These are easier to apply. So the balancing tests, um, when you have a per se rule, you know what the violation is. So um, I just okay. Can't... So it's easier, and why
0: is that better from a Justice Scalia perspective? Well, maybe he. I mean, you're absolutely right. They're easier to apply, of course. Having nice, clear rules also means, um, you know, that there's a lot that falls outside the rule, too. Right. What is it? Why, why would Scalia want to use a rule here? Right? He obviously, in you read, read the opinion, he's very much in favor of, of uh, private property being separate from the government. He doesn't believe that the government should regulate as much. And if they do regulate, they should pay. So what, what's in it for him? Why the rule? Why not just use Penn Central and say, it's a take and give him the money? Is this sort of like a coasting? thing? So because the rules are more clear, you can lower transaction costs by... Um, you know, it's sort of like again with the notice theme it's, it's like pervasive so Okay well it might be better for but that's just a version of what you said before, which is clear rules are generally okay. better and that's true.
1: Well I think the manifestation is that it might um, ultimately reduce cost of doing business. Okay. Um, of, of, you know.
0: No and I think you're right and that might be part of the part of the deal but let's let's be a little more ideological here, right? You're Justice Scalia, you want to push an agenda. you have an agenda? Uh, of pro-property rights, why not just say, this is Penn Central taking? Give them the money. That would achieve exactly the same end result in this case, which is, Lucas would get paid, It would protect the property owner fully, but he doesn't do it. Why does he choose, instead, to do something else?
1: I think that leaves it more open to being more judged by by case-by-case basis. Eventually, it won't have any power over how the factors are actually weighed. So by doing it this way, it's more of a concrete precedent that could go on to apply to other cases that gives justices less personal discretion. Okay. All right?
0: So rules versus standards, right? Rules versus standards. <laughs> on the one hand on the one hand, you know, the, the rules, this binds the court to a particular view of takings, right? By getting five votes for a categorical per se takings. Um, uh, decision, he then takes this out of the realm of debate. Right? You can't use Penn Central anymore. You can't use your own personal discretion about how you think these various factors should be weighed. Right? And from Scalia's perspective, that might be good. Because now, you know, on a, uh, on more often, when these cases fall in here, they're going to, going to be paid. The property owners are going to be paid. Is he right? I mean, what's the opposite
1: argument? He's arguing that this property has gone from like 100% to 0%, but that's not necessarily true because the property owner could have sold it for recreation purposes. Good. Neighbors. Right. Now,
0: he isn't arguing that. That was the finding of the South Carolina State Supreme Court, that there was zero economic value. Now, you think that's plausible?
1: No. Clearly not
0: plausible, right? But they—he's not, he's not making that finding. That's a finding that South Carolina made.
1: Well, because of that approach, um, this, Is not like a strong precedent, I guess. Good. There's not going to be that many cases where it goes from 100 to 0. Exactly.
0: Right? So the downside of Scalia's strategy here is that the 95% taking is what?
1: Then it's not going to be. This rule is not going to apply to... So
0: Lucas won't apply. What will apply? So I I have a regulation that takes 95% of the economic value. Penn Central. Right. So very well might be that you still get paid, right? But yes, you're exactly right, it means that we are not in Lucas land here, right? We are in Penn Central land, and we have to figure that out on a case-by-case basis. So one of the costs of having this nice, clean rule, which is going to bind the Supreme Court to a particular view, is that it applies in relatively fewer situations, right? So do you think Scalia would have liked to say, Anything more than sixty percent is a per se
1: taking. Yeah, he would have liked to, I guess. Right, but what's the problem with that? It's, um,
0: why couldn't? Why didn't he write that opinion? I mean, that seems better, right? He needs
1: to carve out an exception, right? He couldn't. That would have overruled
0: him. No, he doesn't care about that. He'd love to do that. That controversy is not before the court, so he's kind of limited. Oh to no! That. Come on, Supreme Court—they do whatever they want. <laughs>
1: that's kind of circular, because then you're back into determining what's 60% and what's beyond 60%. Okay.
0: not sure he would care that it's circular, though. What's the problem? Why wouldn't he say, look, if you take, or he would, you know, phrase it differently. If you take a majority of the economic value, it's a per se taking no balancing required. Why doesn't he write that opinion? That seems even better from his perspective. People really yeah. He doesn't have the votes. Right? He can't get the votes for that one. He can get the votes for 100%, It doesn't seem like you can get the votes for the rest, right? These are, this is politics, right? This is judicial politics. This is how it works. So he gets enough votes to get a categorical taking uh, for 100% diminution of economic value. Okay, good. Uh, And so now, um, now we have two per se takings categories, right? One is a permanent physical occupation, and two is the uh, deprivation of all economically beneficial or productive use of the property. I
1: guess, um, in, in light of uh, the 100% uh, diminution of value, I guess I have a hard time even conceiving of something
0: that would diminish a property by 100%. But this, I mean, beachfront property might be an example. Right, beachfront property. If you can't build on it, if you can't have any permanent structures, they, he couldn't do anything permanent on that after the regulations were issued. And that meant no parking lots, that meant no structure of any sort, no permanent uh, human presence on there. And so, I mean, maybe that's the example. I mean, it has value. Does it have economic value? It's just got to be brush. They can't do anything with it, but sure, maybe. So you, you just think that this category of 100% dep- deprivation just doesn't really exist.
1: Just, can they sell it to the neighbors and, and they own that if they private? I mean, I don't know. I
0: mean, well, I mean, obviously they can do these things. But, you know, the regulation only prevented them from having any, any structures or buildings or any improvements on the land at all. Right. So so what is your your argument is, at the end of the day, that Scalia didn't do very much at all?
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. if, if you if you, I mean, I think you talk about this somewhere in here, I think, about how people speculate on the value of it, and say, that because these rules seem to be changing, I mean, eventually, you know,
0: something... Right. So footnote 7, right? Uh, talks about that, right? So, regrettably, the rhetorical force of our deprivation of all economically feasible use rule is greater than its precision. So, well, this goes to the denominator point, too, right? I mean, look, Roger, I think you're right, which is, is this really, I mean, how often do you think this is going to happen? Is Lucas just sort of a quirk because the state Supreme Court, for reasons that don't seem entirely clear, ruled that Lucas had lost all economic value? And then Scalia grabs that and says, Well, that's a take. And that's the same thing. He thinks it feels the same as a permanent physical occupation. That from an ownership perspective, you feel the same violation as you would with a permanent physical occupation. And he uses the Loretto case to, to piggyback on. Buy it? Yeah, is he right? Jared? Sure.
1: Related points: uh, the the hundred percent diminution of value. This this property to me is a negative value at this point because he still got to pay taxes on it and he still got. Life. Of course, the taxes might be pretty low if there's right. no economic right. value, but sure. But and he's also got tort liability. Good. He's now okay. My other related question is: now that it's been considered a taking and the government has to pay him the value of it, is he still the title owner of the property, or is is it government property after
0: that? Oh, this is a regulatory taking. So it is. They have not taken his property. He still owns it. Uh, and if it's a taking, it means they got. They need to compensate him for his loss and economic value, which they eventually do. We'll talk about the aftermath in a minute. But that's so. But yes, he still owns title. So he's still got the court liability, unless no he get rid of it. Probably, yeah. All right. So so that's that. And then the the Supreme Court says this, that this measure was intended to prevent serious public harm. Right? So I mean, the Supreme Court, the South Carolina Supreme Court is not dumb, right? They say this is just nuisance. Right? We're just we're preventing harms. What are the harms? Well, we, we have studies showing that if you build too close to the ocean and a big storm comes along, you're going to cause a lot more erosion than you would if you didn't build there. So we need these open spaces, these buffer zones there, in order to maximize the overall benefit of the coastline. Right? And it's a harm prevention on, on big storms. So why is that not, I mean, that's, we know that nuisance regulation, police power regulation, is just not a taking. How does he deal with this? How do we know when something is a complete destruction of your economic value versus just trying to prevent a harm uh, from the use of your property? Well, doesn't
1: he say that like, if something's a noxious use, it's like in the eye of the beholder? Good. So, like, you could look at something and be like, oh, this is really harmful, but really, it's not that harmful. It would just provide maybe a public benefit. Good. So, like, right. So, he doesn't
0: believe the Supreme, the South Carolina Supreme Court in their claim that this is helpful to the public. Because, be, you know.
1: Well, I think that he's saying that then anything could be helpful Good. to the public, and therefore you wouldn't have to provide compensation.
0: Right, but so so I think you're exactly right, right? So he wants something. He says that we can't just take the the, the legislator at its word for um, what it thinks is nuisance or harm prevention because you know who knows? They can say anything that they want. So, but at the same time, he can't get out from under hundreds of years of case law that allow governments to regulate in the cases of nuisance. So how do we know? How do we know which is sort of a nuisance and which is which is um, uh, which is not?
1: I think there was a difference in how legislation originally was, so they didn't know whether or not it was a nuisance at that point. Good. When you bought it, it wasn't a nuisance, because it was zoned for a single family use. So exactly. Traditional
0: true. principles of nuisance are not going to be takings, right? So you go back, you look at the history of sort of nuisance-type regulations, and you ask, were these, this sort of, is this sort of regulation the type of thing that nuisance was designed to prevent? And if so, it's not a taking, right? This case, this new sort of environmental ecological understanding, this is a new understanding. This is a changed set of circumstances, something you know, newfangled that the state is coming up with. Therefore, they can do it, but if they do it, they got to pay. So, taking it has changed the background conditions of property law. That's the key to Scalia. You said you look at your background conditions of property law. You look at how this fits into it. If this has changed your background conditions of property law. You end up uh, not. Uh, you end up in the takings category. If not, it's not a taking. It's just a regulation. All right. Everybody see that? No. Yes. I thought I saw a hand. No. All right. So this is sort of, I think, one way of thinking about this. Right? Is this is the way that Lucas sort of conceives of takings law. Right? Which is you have two categories: permanent physical invasion deprivation of all economic use, those are per se takings, you don't even have to balance. Then you have this area of value-diminishing state actions, right? where there's some sort of regulatory regime that is diminishing the value of your property, uh, and then you use Penn Central to determine whether or not it, it reaches over towards a taking. Obviously, the more it looks like the taking of all economically beneficial use or a physical uh, invasion, you're more likely to end up uh, calling it a taking. Right? But if it looks like it's just implementing background conditions of property law, sort of the underlying traditional nuisance regulation, then it's not. Right? So that's per se regulation. You don't even have to go into the balancing if it looks just like nuisance prevention. Okay? All right. So Blackman has a dissent. We won't uh, talk about that. How much has Lucas been singled out by the regulations? So this matter, the house, the area was pretty built up. I mean, this is sort of the thing, right? I mean, Lucas claims, so there's two arguments here, right? On the one hand, Lucas says, I'm totally singled out, because I'm the last one to build in this area, and so I'm the one whose permit gets denied, right? So it singles me completely. And on the other hand, the the state says, well, no, we've regulated the entire shorefront of South Carolina now, and so we're not... You know, your lot doesn't get any different treatment. We deny permits for new buildings on any of the lots, right? But they just happen to have buildings. <laughs> Who has the better argument? not like, the denominator
1: problem? Like, you at the whole um, area or you look at just the specific
0: house, like, for the that things, Well, not, this is not the denominator problem. The denominator problem goes to primarily as a Penn Central issue when you're trying to figure out how big the intrusion, how big the economic intrusion is, right? This is more an issue of sort of the rhetorical argument that Lucas is being singled out. You'll remember that one of the reasons we think that takings, uh, anti-takings is important is we don't want the government to single out and harm particular people particularly bad, right? And so what Lucas says is, I'm being hurt. I'm like the only person on this entire beach that's being hurt by this regulation, so you're singling me out, therefore it's a taking.
1: you look at the whole beach you're saying but we're imposing these regulations on everyone and just because they happen to be in a different circumstance than you if you look at the whole beach it, it's Good. not just
0: you yeah. you happen to be in curb by that's what the state says the state says everybody is now from this day forward subject to these regulations yes they're lucky they built their houses before you and you had the misfortune of applying for a permit after and so tough luck but everybody has to deal with this now
1: Yeah. That,
0: like, right. No, and that's yeah. So I mean, you think who has the better of those two argument? You like the state argument, it sounds like? Yeah. Alright, Phil? Uh with this effect like if,
1: if I have the lot next to the argument of the house on it, and I tear that house down, does that lot now have to remain vacant or can
0: I Well, you might get some grandfathering if you maybe use the existing... I don't know exactly what that law says, but it might be that you use existing foundations you can still rebuild because it would be a remodel instead of rebuild, or it might be that they say if you touch the house, it's done. Turns out none of this is true, right? So what happens afterwards? (laughs) You will note from my fancy Google Maps picture what's on his lot. Huge houses. 5,000 square feet each. All right, so how does this happen? Not exactly. Well, we don't exactly know. But what happened? So Lucas wins. Right? The ruling is he's got to get paid. Right? So they negotiate with the government for a while about that. What ultimately happens? Uh, I mean, I'm it,
1: but I would imagine they settled. Uh, because now that Lucas has the court decision, he can... rather just let like, him uh develop the property. Okay. Maybe that's not exactly what
0: happens. Well,
1: they, they paid him and then they sold
0: it to the They paid him and as part of the settlement they actually then took the property from. They agreed on a sale of the property for an inflated amount, depending. right? And Good. Then they, then they had to they couldn't take the hit so they sold it. To exactly. The developer. And then by, you know, shockingly enough, when they sold it to that developer and he applied for a permit what happened? They approved the permit. <laughs> In fact, they approved the permit before they put it on the market, right? So the state settles with Lucas, right? Takes as part of the settlement agreement, they pay him a bunch of money, 1.8 million dollars, uh, and takes possession of the lots, right? Uh, almost immediately thereafter, uh, they put the lots on the market. As part of the, mar- the lots being on the market, they came with approvals for 5,000 square foot houses. Right, so people who think that, that this is that you know sort of pro property right people point to this and say, look, whenever the state has to actually internalize costs, they you know they behave differently than just telling Mr. Lucas he can't build his house. When it's the state who has to pay, they they you know they don't have any problem issuing permits. I, was gonna say, I can't believe you're going to end the property course in this absurd. <laughs> <laughs> uh, come on, it's a great case to end it on. Great That's case, all right? for <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And yeah, they flip it and, and, and make some money off it, apparently, yeah. not
1: <laughs> they saved a lot of money just by saying we'll pay your court costs and just approve your permit.
0: Yeah. Interesting, huh? would <laughs> have saved them a lot of effort. They would have had
1: to find, a, like, sell it to someone else.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, honestly, nobody really knows exactly how this all happened. It looks like there was a change in, in governmental regimes. Yeah, Karen.
1: Kind of goes to why they would approve the permits eventually is they're not protecting anything with those two little lots. Good. The whole point of their law was they wanted the beach empty.
0: Right. So was Lucas right all along that they were just screwing him? If you were putting into that balance thing we talked about before, he's being
1: hurt 100% and they're being helped 0.001%,
0: maybe? Yeah. Okay. So there's an interesting question about whether or not. The, the right to have a regulatory takings claim should run with the land or not, right? So let's say I buy a beachfront property for $100,000, um, and then uh, the new regulation comes in, I can't build on my property, so I sell my property uh, for $10,000, because now it's worth a lot less, because I can't build the house I thought I was going to build, right? So does my purchaser have the right to bring a regulatory takings claim against the government? What's the right answer here? So what would Coast say about this? What would Coast say the right answer is? Steve?
1: The, the cost he paid for it is suppressed because of the regulation.
0: All right. So what should happen? Should it run with the land or not run with the
1: land? The, he, w- he shouldn't be allowed to grant that.
0: OK. Probably. I mean, I think Coast would basically say it doesn't matter as long as there is a rule. Right, So as long as whoever is purchasing the lot knows or doesn't know whether the regulatory regime runs. Now, apparently, if I sold it for ten grand, probably both of us thought it was not going to run. Right, And the argument that Costa makes, as long as that's a clear rule, then that's a rule. And we can all contract around that, and transaction costs aren't high. Right? Unfortunately, the Supreme Court has said that whether or not a regulatory takings claim runs with the land is a, get this, matter of pen-central balancing. It doesn't make any sense at all, right? They just couldn't help themselves and make a clear rule. Instead, they're back into Penn Central and say, in some cases it will, in some cases it won't, and it depends on the diminution of value when that enactment happens. All right? You guys going to have fun in con law for a whole semester. Mm-hmm. it would be great. All right, so suppose the sea level rises rapidly and the Isle of Palms is permanently evacuated. The government has to say, everybody out, It's done. We can't live on the Isle of Palms anymore. Does everybody get paid? It's not a background condition of property law, right? They got to get paid, right? I mean, I want my money. I got my beachfront home on the Isle of Palms. Give me my money. You told me I can't live there anymore. Sure, it's underwater, but still, give me my money. Well, I mean,
1: couldn't you say that that's... government
0: here. Yeah, alright. So one thing is look, if it if it becomes navigable waterways, then then you probably, you know, have a different question. Right? But let's say it's not, you know, it's not completely gone, but it's just the government has decided and there's really no question that it's just uninhabitable anymore and they force everybody out. They pay or they don't pay. yeah I think you're exactly right. So I don't think they would have to pay because it is a valid use of regulatory power when there are dramatically changed circumstances such as, for example, you know, radical global warming uh, that would raise sea levels and therefore cause this uh, land to be uninhabitable.
1: Let's say for some reason they were found that they did have to pay, would they be compensated for the amount that the homeowners in charge would come in? Would the government be able to?
0: So if, if the, I think, I mean that's an interesting question because it would depend on the condition of the land at the time. Remember, so you use the Miller case for your just compensation analysis. It'd depend on the condition of the land at the time the taking, at the time the permanent evacuation order was issued, right? And if it was destroyed, then you would probably only get the destroyed value. If it wasn't yet destroyed, you would probably get the pre-destroyed value. Okay. All right, that is it. I guess I should have a inspiring speech, but I do not. I can't believe how far you guys have come in a semester. I'm sure you can't either. Hope to see you in some classes in the future. Don't be strangers. A few of you, we, for a variety of reasons, missed having lunch and coffee. If you, uh, I would strongly enjoy having those next semester when you get some time. Probably in the next two weeks You have a lot going on. Uh, but, you know, have fun. Do your best on your exams. Have a great Christmas break, and I'll uh, hopefully see you down the road. So.
1: Would it make a difference if it was some sort of negligent act of government that caused the uninhabitable, like, there's a spilloff? Right. Yeah, no, so that's well. an interesting like,
0: question. With the negligence, now, I think that probably not from a takings perspective because uh-huh. the government would still have the inherent right to get people off the land, right? Okay. Now, the government is certainly going to be liable at that point for a tort problem, Right. Okay. If they've behaved negligently, and, but, it still and, isn't but I don't so, think that the takings claim. I think that there's a inherent right of the government to respond to change conditions and change people's background conditions of
1: entitlement. Okay. Right. Yep. Song, or I guess just now I'm a little bit about where the whole for the social-